This is Cockpits and Cocktails. We use this podcast to share stories and talk about all things aviation and aerospace. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Cheers to you and enjoy. Morning, afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Cockpits and Cocktails. I am one of your hosts, Natalie Flygirl Kelly. My co-host, Fly Alyssa, is actually traveling from, what's it called, the High Sierra, some kind of flying that she is at, but um, I am very fortunate to be able to talk to Jolie Lucas and Mooney Girl is how I first heard about Jolie, and it was probably at Oshkosh, um, I don't know, three or four years ago, a nice little couple uh, said, hey, you need to go meet a Mooney girl. And um, I did. I went to see her in one of the hangars and have been kind of following her and seeing kind of trying to piece together what she does. I think it's very interesting how her business, her hobby and all that stuff kind of kind of mingle together. So we're going to talk about that. Welcome, Jolie. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. And I have my, um, it's cocktails and cockpits. Yes. Somebody gave me this wonderful night with me flying over Oshkosh. Oh my goodness. In a photo shoot. So that that is amazing. I thought I should have that available. Yeah. Given the the nature of your podcast. Perfect. Now I'm very jealous because I don't have anything like that. That is a very unique item you have there. It is. It's lovely. I'm happy yeah. to- when I approached Jolie about coming on to the show, she was kind of like, well, what do you want to talk about? And <laughs> <laughs> she knows a whole lot about flying. I'm fascinated with her career and how she's kind of mixed together her passion for flying and aviation. So I just kind of want to hear from from you, Jolie, and share with our listeners how you got into aviation. Ah, well, that's a long story. But I was raised in an aviation family. My father was a flight instructor in World War II in the Army Air Corps. And he flew out of Rankin Field, which is in Tulare, California. And some famous folks flew at that time, uh, Tex Rankin, of course, who started the Air Academy, and then Sammy Mason is another one that is pretty well known. And so my dad was an instructor there, met my mom on a blind date and took her for a ride in the Stearman. And when she could handle the hammerheads and the different sorts of aerobatics, he knew that she was a keeper. So we always had a little airplane. Drove a very modest car, but I'm a girl that learned to drive a stick at an airport uh, and used to go to airport days, airport events. And of course, we had a Belenka at first, and then we moved up to the Mooney later. And so that was our station wagon. We flew around the country to see relatives, went to Indiana every year, up to Seattle from California. And so for me, I was 16, I believe, when I first went for a commercial flight. Wow. Yeah. It was my dad making it look pretty easy. And he's a very, very good pilot. And so I was uh, later in life when I got my pilot's license. I was 38 years old. 
Uh, no, I take it back 40 years old when I got my pilot's license. And so then I um, bought a Mooney and decided that that was going to be the airplane for me. And uh, I think Mooney owners are sort of crazy about, about the brand. And yeah. see the speed, the style, you know, made in Kerrville, Texas. And so I got the idea that, you know, uh, those of us who are owners could be ambassadors for the brand. And so I first started Mooney Ambassadors and we would go to airport days and events, have a bunch of Moonies there, upwards of 50 when we went to South Lake Tahoe, get people in the planes, start talking about being pilots and aircraft owners. And then Mooney Girls was born out of that with my teaching partner, Jan Maxwell, and we teach Right Seat Ready, which is a companion seminar. So got my private and then I did what I think a lot of people might do, which is say, oh, I'm going to get around to that instrument training soon. You know, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, it was, uh, I think, 12 years later when I finally. Wow. OK. And living at the beach, you know, it's something where we have this much fog and we're you know, on the ground going, oh, I wish we could leave. But I got that instrument rating in 2017 and got my commercial in 2020. And I'm going to be starting to work on my multi-engine soon. And uh, yeah, so that's how I got into flying was just being an airport brat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so tell me why. Um, I love to hear, by the way, when, when women go and get their license later, because that just resonates with me so well, because it was later for me as well. Why did it take so long to get the license? Well, or certificate, I should say. Right, right. I think for me, it was life, uh, being getting married, having babies, uh, starting my career as a psychotherapist. And, and then I swear to heaven, we were at a airport day in Jackson, California, it's Jackson Westover. And my brother flew in in his Bonanza and my dad flew in in his Mooney. And I just thought, what is wrong with this picture? Mm. Uh, I, you know, I love to fly and, and I need to do it. And that was in June and I got my private in September, I think it was. So yeah. moved right through and learned to fly in the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. Oh, natural wind thing. So, yeah, yeah. Things I know about. <laughs> uh, I know there's a like there's people that that approach me and say, you know, they're in their they have a young family and they're maybe in their late 30s or mid 30s. And they're like, I just can't seem to get it done. I really want to I really want to. And I just try to tell them Look, it's just not the right season. You know, sometimes you can't do it all, but that doesn't mean you're never going to be able to do it. Yeah. It's just. Timing is so important. I mean, I couldn't have done it any other time until my kids got older. It just wasn't possible. And I had kind of one of those moments that sound like, like you had, where it was just like, okay, now why am I not doing this? Right. Now I have time. You know, I, I can, I have the ability to do it. So now's the time. I absolutely agree with you. And I think for a lot of females in particular, it's hard to give ourselves permission to be selfish we are so used to being the hub in the family that keep all the spokes in line. 
-hmm. And it's difficult for us to say, what about me? What what do I dream about doing? What where's my passion? And so when I decided to do it, I also decided that I was going to try to fly two or three times a week with lessons just to make sure I had that really good background and and uh, started off with a female instructor and ended up with a male instructor at the end and just uh, really got quality education. And of course, it was 18 gust and 26 on my check ride. (laughs) And it happened for my commercial as well. It was it was 18 or so gust and 24 on my commercial. So that power off 180 landing is always interesting. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So your IFR writing, that was really tough for me. And I pretty much went straight from private to the, to the IFR writing. What was it like kind of with that long gap in between? Do you think that made it harder or easier? I think that it, I think it made it harder in some ways and easier in other ways. So the harder part of it was with the amount of presentations I do and speaking and writing, uh, I'm used to being the expert or the teacher and or the instructor. Mm -hmm. And with my IFR, my instrument training with Mike Jesh, who's a wonderful CFWI, I had to allow myself to be a learner and to have really, you know, just give myself some grace. Mm-hmm. Because I there were times where he'd say, where are you? And I was in my Mooney with uh, no IFR GPS. So I learned on steam gauges, two VORs, glide slope, uh, DME. So I learned. Wow, yeah. On the, on the, on the gauges. And he'd yeah. say, where are you? And at first it was like, uh, I don't you know. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, northeast of the Paradise VOR, you know. Yeah. And, and I often say that I think when you put the put the visor on, that your IQ goes down about you know 30 points. So so that was harder to just to let myself fail, to let myself do poorly, mm-hmm. also to congratulate myself when I nailed something. And to know that those things can kind of change over time. The easier part was I knew that I needed to block off the time. And I did every, you know, every day in terms of study for the written. And then um, really got serious about it in the fall, um, late summer and fall of 2017 and, and got it. I think it was November 17th. And it was probably the hardest thing I've had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, parented kids and associated <laughs> <laughs> elderly parents, and 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 I think that the instrument rating was the best and the hardest. Yeah. So I'm sorry to be so long-winded about that, but no, that's that's but, okay. It's hard to explain because it is so challenging, and it's something. I mean, for me, it was just something I'd never. Um, even like looked at approach plates really, you know, I was just like, this is just looks like Chinese to me. I mean, it was just so hard to grasp and, and I wanted to get it so quickly, but so when you say give yourself some grace, it was just like, oh, I'm just not getting this and I want it. I want to get it so bad. Right. But it right. Takes time. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that everybody kept saying there would be a time where it gelled, mm -hmm. where it came together, and it would be easier. And I did not believe them at the time. Yeah. And then it happened. And he said, where are you? And you know, I said, I'm 20 north of the Paradise VOR on this radial. And it was just like, boom. And it just made sense. And now I look at it like a recipe. So when you're in the system that you're flying a recipe, you know, and then your plate is almost, you know, your recipe and your and um, and you just do the steps. Yeah. And and you're going to be OK. And I've had to use it down to minimums in smoke here in California and in weather in Oshkosh and stuff. So, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I've never thought about that. Yeah. What did your family think um, when you when you got your private uh, certificate and then when you went on your instrument? Uh, were they just super excited? What What was the whole family vibe then? Yeah, of course, my dad was super excited when my mom and my dad, but dad being the pilot was super excited when I got my private and both my folks had passed um, by the time that I got my instrument. And I, th I have to say that was sort of something I felt after the check ride and I knew that I passed and had all the debrief and he went to, you know, the DP went to print the certificate and I just started crying Aww. because, you know, my kids weren't with me. Of course, I've got two daughters that are in the Pacific Northwest and then my son here, but you know, my mom and dad weren't here and, and I couldn't call them and tell them yeah. and it was full of emotion, but, uh, my dad was just so thrilled that I was doing the Mooney Ambassadors and Mooney Girls and touring with AOPA and and having some articles and AOPA pilot and such and and he just said you know there's just nothing you can't do if you oh. work hard yeah yeah I think when you get that instrument writing too I mean of course when you're a private pilot you do kind of feel like part of this family. And then not everyone gets their IFR rating. So when you go to that level and you know how hard it was and you get it and then you think, wow, all these other people went through the same thing. You just feel instantly like bonded with these people. Right. It is quite the club. And then I also felt that getting my commercial certificate, just that, of course, it's a, you know, it's a VFR sort of certificate but the professionalism that came with that to be thinking not only of all the things that we have to think about but to be thinking about what's the best route for my passengers mm -hmm. how do I have hard talks with them about how much luggage they're bringing or what they really weigh and yeah. and uh what in one of Martha King's videos the King course on the check ride she talked about you know, if you've got non-pilots, you're also being sort of an ambassador to aviation, right? Mm -hmm. Like what it, what might be the safest way to go, but the most scenic way to go, mm -hmm. or the most yeah. comfortable way to go. And and when I got the commercial, it was like, it felt more like a pro pilot. Yeah, it yeah, was true. Sort of change in my head. Just another level um, up where you just really start thinking about other people as well and their experience. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have seen your, you've written articles and you have been at um, 
uh, EAA Air Venture and you've done talks. So tell me about how all that came to be. What are you melding kind of your therapist um, career into aviation with these these kind of um, seminars and things that you're giving? Yes, I think you hit it on the head with the melding. As a licensed psychotherapist, you know, I work with clients on the psychology of life and how we can have a happier, healthier life in which we know what our purpose is and our decisions fund that purpose. And then I was just fascinated by the psychology of flight. And so Rod Machado is one that is a, you know, a hero of mine, and he's also got a background in psychology. And so I always liked the way that he presented things uh, in a humorous and fun way, but you're also getting the message across. And I, I started working, um, well, I've always had a relationship with AOPA, it seems like. And then I, I asked to be able to present at Sun and Fun or at Oshkosh, and then I've toured with uh, them when they were doing their regional fly-ins. Mm -hmm. So I always tend to look at the psychology of how we make decisions, how we motivate ourselves, how we understand our learning styles, and, and just try to give the best content I can. Mm -hmm. So I've given talks about uh, exiting the hold as uh, instrument pilots, we know that if you're in a hold, you can be in a holding pattern for so long, and then you either need to go to your alternate or land. You can't stay stuck. And I think a lot of folks do that with their flying, is they, they oh, I'm just gonna get it next month, it's gonna be better. When the kids are older, it's gonna be better. Yeah. And in that holding pattern. And then most recently I've been doing into the alligator's mouth, which is the psychology of making our personal flight minimums. Mm, yeah. Experience as well. Yeah. So between um, those two talks, which kind of break down um, into the, out of the alligator's mouth or into the alligator's mouth? Because okay. what I, I interviewed 12 or 13 folks around the country. It was great to, to, uh, get my you know sort of mental rolodex out and i had pilots with 250 hours on up to 20,000 hour pilots and i asked them questions about their minimums their personal minimums mm -hmm. do you have them are they written down do you ever review them mm -hmm. do you fudge yeah do you fudge on your minimums what made you want to discuss that topic? <laughs> because, I, because I fudged on my minimums, probably. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> but it made me think. I was, um, Pia Bergvitz is a friend of mine, and she's flying magazine and, and uh, now an FO for an airline and a fellow Mooney pilot. And I was dropping her off in Camarillo. So it was just going to be a turn and burn where I dropped off Pia and then flew back to Santa Maria, California, which is where my home base is. And I knew that there was going to be a little bit of clouds, but what ended up happening on the way back, and it's only about a 25, 30 minute flight, is the weather started going down. Mm. And so I knew I'd have to do an approach. Okay, no big deal. And I'm, you know, bombing in there and, and thinking, well, you know, now that you have your instrument rating for 
I guess it was two or three years at that time. Have you ever updated your minimums mm -hmm. from when I first got my instrument? I had double the minimums. That was my minimum is double the minimums. Yeah, okay. And and so as I was doing the approach and it actually ended up being 50 feet above the minimum. Wow. Minimum on the chart. Yeah. I got to, and it was fine. I mean, I did fine and, and mm -hmm. uh, but I thought nobody knows but me. Yeah you just fudged on your minimums because yeah. I hadn't updated them. Mm -hmm. So then I asked again, I asked these, you know, 12, 13 people and it was surprising because except for me and the uh, airline captains that have 10, 20,000 hours, nobody had them written down. Yeah. It's just sort of like, I'll, I'll know. Yeah. Part of my interviewing them and, and, and part of the presentation was what I called the hidden gems, mm. which are what have you learned? What have you learned? Give us a gem of knowledge. Mm. That was fabulous. And okay. then I asked them about a pucker factor. Oh. <laughs> about something you never want to repeat again. Yeah. And I got these wonderful pucker factors. And so if you've seen um, the presentation on YouTube and, and of course I was at Oshkosh mm -hmm. with the Air Safety Institute doing it and the presentation in person, you can see some of the pucker factors. Yeah. And um, it, it, what my goal would be for folks is to think of your personal guidelines, your personal mi minimums as a living, breathing thing. You know, right after my dad passed away suddenly, my minimums would be higher, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm yeah. green and maybe, and I didn't even end up flying for many weeks after he passed because that's part of my minimums is how am I doing as a person? Mm -hmm. And I, being a practicing psychotherapist helps with that because I'm so used to assessing people with their mood and their energy and their sleep and yeah. stress and all those things. Yeah. So, that's one of the things I think is the hardest to explain to people when I take um, friends or family flying and to explain, let's say everything looks good. You know, the winds are good. It's a, it's a great, a beautiful day. You know, the ceiling's super high. Um, but maybe there's something going on. Like I just had an argument with my son or um, and those things are really hard to explain. You know, I'm just not feeling 100% tip top and I've got something really weighing on me and and there's so many of them are just like um well I mean what's the big deal you know <laughs> right, <laughs> right. the day will be fine and then there's some that are actually you know experienced uh pilots that are like well we're, then we're not going you know it's just like that's just clear cut cut and dry it's the people that really aren't in aviation I would say that that don't understand it. Um, and the minimums, now that you say that, I know I haven't updated mine since I don't remember when, two or three years probably. It's, and it, it's not, you know, at first when I was asking folks, they were, they thought I was talking about IFR minimums. Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 no. Think of them as guidelines. What are your guidelines? What's mm -hmm. your one component? Mm -hmm. What, at night, what do you need at night? Uh, and it, what's helpful is just to, 
you know, and AOPA happens to have some really nice templates if you want to download them, but is to write them down. Yeah. Do you them about runway length or density altitude? Um, stress is one of those things which is interesting for folks because a lot of times I hear people say, uh, flying helps me relax. So if I'd have, a, have had a stressful day, it helps me to go fly. And that really is for mild stress. Mm -hmm. But if you get into moderate, severe, or extreme stress, we're operating with a very ancient low part of our brain that has about three options, fight, flight, and freeze. None of those, I don't want any of those yeah. having the yoke in my airplane. Yeah. Right. So, so that so you're right. You know, if you've had an argument with somebody, if you're grieving, the pandemic has been very, very difficult with folks because we're very social creatures and we've we've had lack of contact with other folks. And yeah. so you just have to know that you're not as sharp as maybe you think you are. And I think we need to assess our skill level and round down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 70% of us think we're above average. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, look that way. It doesn't look that way. Oh, I can totally believe that. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I know I just started flying um, uh, as a contract pilot for a corporate aviation company here in Cincinnati. And my dad is a pilot. He was a professional pilot in the Navy, and then he flew for FedEx. And we, I was on a flight last week, and we flew down to minimums. And I haven't, like, flown down to minimums in a very long time. And I only did it one time, and I had two other pilots in the airplane with me. And I was telling him, you know, about, about the situation. He said, you got to be really careful with these pilots. I was like, I trust this pilot. He's been flying a long time. So you got to be really careful with the ones that do have a lot of experience sometimes because they tend to fudge a little bit and, and think, oh, well, it's got to be like, I'll just go 25 more feet or 50 more feet. And so, so he's like, don't just, you know, be an innocent bystander, be paying attention and you need to be ready to call them out if they're, if they're going too low. And that was one of the pucker factors that came through when I was interviewing uh, DPE up in the Pacific Northwest and he's the one who came up with the into the alligator's mouth because he said you know how far can you are you willing to put your head into the alligator's mouth mm -hmm. oh yeah you can't get it out again yeah uh, what he noticed was he had some VFR flight minimums in the Columbia River Gorge and he was going to a check ride where he was the examiner and of course the the examinee was on the ground waiting for him and he said you know i needed 1500 feet and then it then i was down to 1450 mm. and you know and down now i'm down at 1400 uh, and yeah. what example yikes yeah example? now you might think it's 100 feet people go oh it's 100 feet but i believe if you cheat on your minimums you're cheating yourself yeah so it's it's um the other thing i want to say about that is there's a part of us 
that thinks that we can be sneaky and get away with stuff. Mm. That was part of my wanting to write the article that I wrote and then present uh, the seminar is that you are not special mm. except to your mother. Um, <laughs> yeah. Rules apply to us. Uh, all of the rules, fatigue, oxygen, stress, airplane limitations, all of those things apply to us. And if we, if we sneak or fudge, then it creates sort of an exception bias. Like, well, you know, my crossline component's 15, but I landed at 17 the yeah. other day. And so what happens is, is we start to have some creep in there. And, mm -hmm. and that's where I think it might sound kind of stern, but I think we should write them down and stick to them. And if we're not sure about our abilities to go up with an instructor, mm -hmm. figure out what your crosswind capability is for you. Yeah. And what's in the POH. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just wanted to let folks know that there is a sneaky side of us. Yeah. You know, if I have. So it's not like you're a bad person because it's just kind of something that happens to everyone. Right. right. It's like, yeah. you know, if I eat one bag of ruffles you know nobody would know well if i eat two you know nobody else will know and it's that sneaky part of us that is is not it's not the one that i want at the controls of my mooney no i want the wise part the front part of my brain that no. i don't share with reptiles exactly. <laughs> i want that part on board oh well i am um i'm fascinated by I mean, I, I love thinking about why people, you know, it all kind of, I think when I was studying to be a CFI, it was like the fundamentals of instruction and you're learning about all the different learning styles and you're just like, man, you think everybody learns like you. Mm -mm. And to that was one of the hardest things is to be like, well, I don't even know how to deal with this person because I really don't understand how they learn. And um, I just think it's fascinating how people are so different, but they can and they can be taught totally different a totally different way and can still come out with the same result. Yeah, I think that was part of the reason that I did the uh, exiting the hold is that what works for me learning style wise might not be your way. I learn best in, in a class in person and I'm in the first or second row. Yeah, That's the way I learn best. And then people that I love and adore and respect it's a book. They get the book and they read the book and it all makes sense. And, and there's everything in between. Uh, I've often said it's much like we take care of people when they're sick, the way that we want to be taken care of when we're sick. So if, if you're a person that you want somebody just to put the ball of water down and the Tylenol and leave them alone, yeah, uh, that's how you're going to take care of them. And they might be the person that needs you to go, oh, you're sick. Oh, that's so bad. You know, yeah. you? And right. you know, I think it's the same way with learning is that. Um, True. Yeah, you're going to you're going to teach it the way you think that because that's how you learn. Right. You think that they they learn just like you. And that's what makes being a CFI challenging is trying. I've, to bet, I've, bet. I've thought about going on and getting my CFI. I don't know if I'll do it, maybe, but it's, it is. And, and I think 
presenting around the country, I try to to hit all of those sorts of yeah. learning types in the presentations. Yeah. Yeah. So they're easily and and great sound and also you know, an outline and, and, and bullet points to take home. You would probably be a great CFI because you know so much, you have so much background knowledge on mental stuff. <laughs> you know, what I, what I thought about it for was not taking a student from, you know, zero to private, but it might be interesting to do, you know, IPCs or, or do, yeah. you know, different targets and yeah. stuff. Yeah, my clinical practice. I'm I'm so busy as a psychotherapist since most everything's virtual now yeah. that I wouldn't have time to allocate to you know a you brand. You never know, you know what's going to happen. You could find. Oh, and I've thought about getting my advanced ground instructor. Yeah, because that you know that's something that's sort of my wheelhouse with teaching. Mm -hmm. I love adult learners. I really do. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So you're going to get your multi, hopefully. Is that something that's definitely in the works? And It's definitely in the works. I'm trying to find the right school for me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm, I was, I'm so lucky I got a scholarship from the 99s. Nice. And so I need to put it to work. And it's also something where I had to apply a personal minimum because I was really going to start it and then... I really thought about how exhausted I am as a healthcare professional mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I thought, do you really have the brain width for this right now? Do you have the bandwidth? Yeah. And so I put it on pause, but now I'm feeling like things are trending better. We're getting out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. and so now I'm, what we do is we think about thinking about it and then we think about it and then we decide. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really getting close to At that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what's training like in California? Is it hard to find a flight school? Is it, um, are there a lot of them or what is that well, like? Lots of flight schools. Um, most of the major airports have a flight school and even some of the smaller airports like San Luis Obispo has a couple of flight schools. And for me, um, I don't know how to say this the right way. I I want to make sure that my education is a plus plus plus. Mm -hmm. So that means me connecting with an instructor so that they know how I learn so I can tell them the truth when I'm not understanding something instead of kind of fake it till you make it thing. Mm -hmm. So the relationships I've had with my instructors along the way, they're, you know, they're they're dear friends now mm -hmm. and people that I can tell the truth to and I don't have to worry about appearing like I don't know what You're I'm doing about you or yeah judging so, you in some way you know fly schools are opening back up and um of course the skies are opening back up to us as well mm -hmm. it's just me really finding the a good situation because I want to be able to write about the experience as mm -hmm. well okay maybe yeah. um I think part of my purpose in life is to try to inspire people to follow their passion mm-hmm so I think writing about the process like I did with IFR mm -hmm. uh, will be good as well. So it, trying to, I'll put it out into the universe. So, yeah. you know, yeah. the next days I'd like to know where I'm going. 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. why um, the multi-engine writing? What are you hoping to, what's the future? I believe that we need to be available for opportunity. So I need to, uh, it, for me, it gives me more experience, more ability to, if somebody says, hey, we need a plane ferried here, or, you know, we need somebody to do, to fly right seat, um, that I would be available for the opportunity if I wanted to do it. And so I, yeah, I don't have any ATP sort of goals, but I okay. thought the multi would be the next step. And then I would determine if I would go on and get a CFI. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I feel like it was like flying to Oshkosh in the 1942 Norseman. Uh, I got a call from Brent Blue. He said, I need a right seat in the Norseman. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> World War II aircraft. And, and we, we chatted and got to know you know each other in terms of right seat, left seat pilot sort of thing. And I was like, yes. And so when you're available for opportunity yeah. and you're prepared and you're ready and you're eager, I think that we get these great opportunities. Yeah, and I'm and sure then, that was a great learning experience, right? Right, it was fabulous. You know, big old radio engine and, yeah. and it was like flying this little slice of history. So yeah. that's my multi, it's just, so that I'll be available for opportunities that yeah. arise. And, you know, I've got almost all of my hours, but a hundred and some odd are in a Mooney. So oh, yeah. I know. Wow. Good yeah. To... So the Mooney is, you touched on that a little bit. I, I've never flown in a Mooney. I've heard things about the Mooney. Yeah. <laughs> I hear they're fast and that kind of, there's like this Mooney, um, I don't know what the word is, but, um, not groupies, but this kind of moony group. Once they're in, they're in, and you just are just you just love your airplane. What's we so do. great about the Mooney? Well, <laughs> I um having been in a a crash in a Mooney uh, with my dad and my daughter and her boyfriend, I can definitely attest to the strength of the airframe. So it's, you know, as I mentioned, it's handmade in Kerrville, Texas. I know the people that wired my plane. I know the people that sealed my fuel tanks. Um, it's, we're kind of crazy about the brand. Of course, there's the aerodynamic differences. So it does make it, you know, a faster, more efficient airplane. And um, I like the, has a special spar that's one of the safest wings in GA and it has a, a roll cage that um, kept me and my family safe. And so I love the fact that it's made in the United States and that you can go to the factory and meet the people who make made the plane. Yeah. I love the innovation. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, my dad had a Mooney for 27 years and then we had the crash. And so it was airport day and, um, we lost a cylinder on takeoff. And so we were cooking steaks that night, you know, seven o'clock. We went down about 1030 in the morning and no major injuries. We were grilling steaks. And of course, me being emotional, which is good, 
I'm crying because I felt like something I did or didn't do took his airplane away from him. Mm. And he said, the only failure would be if you don't fly again. Mm. Because, you know, I was banged up. I was left seat. And, and he said, you know, metal can be replaced. There are no funerals being planned today. Yeah. And so a week later, I was up with my flight instructor and a warrior, you know, kind of crying the whole time. And, um, and I never looked back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got some counseling, of course. Yeah. It was a traumatic experience. Yeah. But the Mooney protected us all the way to the ground. We took out seven trees and they ended up on top of us. Wow. Side down in a pond. Wow. So I can say to you and to anybody listening, that's the only airplane I'll ever own. Wow. So, so okay. So I can't, the, the crash, um, you got back in a week after this happened. So you blew a cylinder. What, tell me a little bit more about the actual incident. Did you just take off? Were you, what, what was happening? Yeah, um, taking off Hood River, Oregon. It was airport day. So, you know, there's just hundreds of people on the field and dad, we were flying my daughter to Eugene to University of Oregon, go Ducks. And, um, and so when we took, when I was on the takeoff roll, I said, I pull at 6570, right? And he said, yep. And so I'm on the takeoff roll and, you know, it just didn't feel like it was accelerating quite as much as I thought. And, but I was only had five hours left seat at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled and we sort of lumbered into the air mm-hmm. and there's some like hundred foot trees and, you know, up and over those. And we're headed towards Mount Defiance. And so the terrain just kind of goes up and up and up to the mountain. And it was pretty clear that we were not going to fly that day. Mm-hmm. It, it just, you know, we were going about oh, 55, 60 miles an hour. And I was looking at a tree right in front of us. And I thought, I'm going to bank and um, try to miss the tree, which I did. And again, with the train rising and us not rising, uh, I just decided at one point, I told the children, well, they're teenagers or young yeah. adults at that point, I said, you know, brace yourself, we're going to land in the trees. So I cut the throttle and pitched up into a landing flare. And we started impacting trees about 50 miles an hour. The eyewitness said that the last tree just sort of hung us, you know, Mm -hmm. suspended us in space. And then we fell backwards and twisted around. And then the trees that we hit, Mm -hmm. they landed on top of us. Yeah. It was the number one cylinder valve came unseated. And so suddenly we're a three cylinder airplane um, loaded. You know, we were, we were not overgrowth, but, uh, and what the uh, FAA told me was that when one cylinder goes down, it robs power from the other three. And so I didn't try to turn around. I didn't try to go back to the airport. I just went straight ahead. And like I said, we all walked out. And we were grilling steaks by seven. Wow. To me, that airplane was part of the reason that we all. Yeah. Walked away. Really a scratch. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Well, that is. um, Quite a story. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'm impressed that you, it was a week later and you, you got back in the plane. Was that hard for you to do? It was, you know, I had black eyes and, and, you know, my tooth had gone through my lip when I hit the glare shield. Uh, mm-hmm. Dad didn't have shoulder harnesses. That was one of the first things I did when I bought my mini. Yeah, yeah. Shoulder harnesses. Um, it was hard. And uh, it was with my primary instructor, Dave Cable. And he was just solid as a rock, right? And I'm, you know, I was calm and I was focused. And, you know, like I said, I was crying a little bit. And we flew up to Yakima for the $100 hamburger in Washington. And I swear it was the best landing I've ever had in my life. You know, focused probably. And yeah. uh, So it, and it took, you know, it took some time, especially doing stalls, you know, when you're um, doing a flight review uh, and emergency procedures and stuff. The stall, the attitude of the stall would bother me. Yeah. And I, I worked through it. And like I said, I got professional help and yeah. I'm happy I did. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so I made my mom and dad proud in that way. Yeah. That I quit and I went on to it's awesome. become affiliated with Mooney and AOPA and trying to keep, keep the word out that yeah. you need to take this seriously and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. So the Mooney girls, what is it exactly? And, and what, how do you, is this like, how do you reach other women and have this Mooney girl group? Yes. Well, we decided that, you know, female pilots are only about what, six or 7% of the pilot population. And what we, when Jan and I talked about it, what we liked was that nobody could tell us what to do, right? Mm-hmm. We could be a jeans and t-shirt girl we could have high heels and be sassy and we can fly those airplanes and you know yeah be all that so yeah. we <laughs> we decided to form mooney girls and part of it is our educational wing in which we teach right seat ready the companion okay. safety seminar yeah. we've had um i think six folks that have come through that have uh that have gone on to become pilots about 90 percent of right seat ready are females mm-hmm. and about 10 percent males and so basically we're covering what you need to know if your left seat pilot you know has something ate a bad fish stick yeah. and is throwing up or got a migraine or something yeah um so with mooney girls it's about the attitude that we can do or be anything we want to be to support other females that want to become pilots or mechanics or dispatchers, ATC. And uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. You know, we've been about 11 or 12 years now. Wow. So it's, um, and then, you know, with, with COVID, everything got a little derailed. So we're hoping to start in-person stuff in 2022. So is the right seat ready just geared towards Mooney airplanes or can it be used for others? That's a great question. And I should have made that clear. We have a Mooney specific right seat ready course. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jan, my teaching partner, she owns a Mooney service center in Texas. And so she's got the, you know, knowledge from the, from being around the mechanics and the maintenance part. I have the psychology part. Mm-hmm. And um, we both have 
owned and flown Moonies for many years. So we have a Mooney specific, and then we have a single engine um, course, you know, all airplane is what we call it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be for single engine, but we've developed a laminated checklist for them to have that they can write on mm -hmm. and follow along. And it's so funny because I had uh, a fellow that came up to me at Oshkosh, I think it was, he goes, I have to tell you this story. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> my wife went through your right seat ready course with Jan. I said, how great. And so we're driving to the airport, you have this trip. And she says, stop the car. And he's like, what? What? And she goes, we need to go back home. And he's like, what? She said, I don't have my checklist. Oh, no. <laughs> and I love it because when we're teaching the course, we're teaching them how to look at a manifold pressure gauge, how to look and what to, and, and how to navigate and how to communicate, how to get that airplane on the ground safely so that you all can get the medical attention that you need. And but she would not go unless she had her checklist. And yeah. so that's one of the fun things. About the yeah. 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 Well, that's one of the things I think that because I, I remember when I, I took my mom flying um, kind of early on when I got my license and and she enjoyed it. And then she went home and she called me. She said, I have to tell you that I just watched this show and this pilot became incapacitated. And the next time I go, you need to teach me how to land <laughs> in case something happens to you. And so it made me think, okay, well, not just her, but what if I'm going with my kids and taking my kids? They, there's some basic things that, you know, they yeah. kind of need to know. Absolutely. And with the Mooney courses that we've done, we've oftentimes have a simulator there, uh, whether it's at the Mooney factory, we have a Redbird, but in other ones, we bring our home simulators with yoke and rudder pedal rudders. And it's really nice to get our students on the simulator and get them some practice with what it feels like. Mm -hmm. And then we oftentimes say to go up, let's say that you have a Cessna or Bonanza or Mooney, to go up with an instructor for that type of aircraft, not your spouse or partner. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna sit in the right seat and get a lesson in emergency. And, and that way we're, we're ingraining some of that into them. But yeah. it's amazing to see the beginning of the day and the end of the workshop, the difference in, um, you know, competence. Yeah. So along with their checklists. Yeah. And they'll point things out and it's yeah. Awesome. So that's right. I think it, I, would, I would think it would, there's so many benefits to that. Like one, they, they can really fully appreciate what the pilot has is, is thinking about and try to help relieve some of that um, stress. Two, um, they feel a part of the flight and, and they can engage in it and understand. And, and three, maybe they really de develop a love of aviation and decide, yeah, I think I want to learn more. You know, I think this is awesome. And yeah. Absolutely hit it on the head. Yeah. All three of those things. And when we when we lessen someone's anxiety, and remember, with anxiety, we've got fight, flight, and freeze. Yeah. That's about it. It when we can lessen their anxiety, and when I feel like 
oh, I can look at that gauge and I remember, I remember what that does and that red is bad and green is good and yellow is caution and, and be a part of it, maybe changing frequencies, maybe doing some radio work, um, being another set of eyes when you're in the soup and looking for the things that you need to, to see to be able to land. Then it's like, wow, I've always wanted to go to Catalina mm -hmm. or I've wanted to go here or there, do a Hudson tour or whatever it might be. And, and then I'm excited about it uh, instead of anxious. Yeah, right. You know what the difference is between anxiety and excitement to the body, to your brain? Nothing. It's the same. Mm. What's the difference? My thought layer. Mm. So if I love roller coasters and I'm standing in a roller coaster line, I'm going to be excited. If I hate roller coasters and I'm standing in a roller coaster line, I'm going to be anxious. Yeah. Same chemicals, same, you know, brain chemicals and corticosteroids and adrenaline, all that's the same. So the difference is what we're thinking about it. Yeah. If that makes sense. I would say knowledge, you know, just kind of is huge key there and you're lessening your anxiety and making it fun versus being like a nervous anxious wreck about it i agree a hundred percent yeah it's a lot of it's been a lot of fun and and i look forward to getting back to being with people in 22 when it can be a little safer and we can gather again and and continue on with that part of our you know aviation family yeah, I agree. Me too. I want to say something. I wrote something down too about Rod Machado. Mm. I've never met him. I don't know much about him, but when we were talking about how you learn, when I was just kind of reading uh, just a textbook about flying, I had a real hard time kind of grasping it. And I would just get so like trying to keep my eyes open. And it was just like, this is so boring. But when I, I picked up, someone recommended Rod Machado's uh, book. And I got it. It was the private pilot um, book. I don't know what it's called exactly. Something. And it was funny. And so it kept me like engaged. And I just loved how he kind of mixed the sense of humor and the flying. So if anyone kind of learns that way, like has a hard time reading and grasping it, I think that made a huge difference yeah. for me. It does. And way back in the day, you know, he had cassette tapes. Yeah. Where talking about things and then it was VHS tapes and 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 then to be able to see him in person and get to know him he's a fellow Portuguese guy like I'm a Portuguese gal yeah. and he's just a fabulous person and we're so lucky that we have all these different modes right whether it's King or Machado or Enziero or it's just it's it's finding what works for you yeah. right there some folks just like, I just want the facts. I just want the facts. I want to read the book or I want, you know, and that's it. And for me, I think that's part of the reason that I became a psychotherapist is that I've always been intensely interested in people's stories. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when Rod is describing something or John and Martha are talking about, you know, when they landed in Santa Barbara, were surrounded by uh, police cars and John said I knew my landing was bad but I didn't think it was correct <laughs> <laughs> you remember these things yes totally <laughs> definitely I wish I could just read it and learn it it just seems like it would be so much more productive but it's just not how 
how I work. The female brain's wired a little differently. So we're wired to want connections. Yeah. So we like to <clears throat> have a fact that's connected to imagery and it's all connected. Yeah. And males tend to have more like a waffle brain where everything has a little compartment. Wow. So that's part of the, um, some it's of the learning there. Yeah. yeah. Shops I've done is just explaining those differences between the male and female brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I know on, we are lucky, like you're saying, because YouTube, you can find, you know, if I'm was struggling with a particular subject, I can go on YouTube and I'll watch a video. Well, that didn't quite hit it. And then I'll find someone else. And then they, the way they teach it actually hits. So, you know, we have all those resources now to, to find something that actually caters more to your learning style by just Googling and getting on YouTube. You bet. You bet. Yeah. And, and, and nowadays we can find almost anything if you want, mm -hmm. you know, Rod has a landing technique. I call it hunting. I don't think he calls it that, but when you're in the flare, you start moving the yoke back and forth and it, and it just makes for these really perfect landings. And yeah. I, and he's got a video on that. And, and again, I'm, I use the word hunting, but it's probably, he probably uses a different word, but, but to be able to learn from these experts and, and it's right at our fingertips. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. You're right. And everybody learns differently. So yeah. Right. Okay. Well, um, I think this has been great. So I've learned a whole lot and I've enjoyed um, getting to know you a little bit more on this uh, video chat. I look forward to hopefully seeing you at some of the air shows in the future. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And if anybody were to want to contact me, my website is jolielucas.com and you can find out where I'm going to be and what I'm presenting and, and all that. And yeah. so I just, I think it's fabulous what you guys are doing. I love the podcast and thank you. thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I too enjoy hearing people's stories and I just think it's great. Everybody has a story, you know, when people hear, you know, maybe about your crash, you just never know what's going to hit someone and really speak to them. Maybe they hear about your crash and then they think, well, okay, that's a way to look at it. And it's not the end of the world. And, and I can learn from that and I can just, keep going and there's just Literally. you just never know somebody's story is going to resonate with someone and i think that you're doing wonderful things and i'm so envious because you're doing like everything <laughs> well it's a lot of fun you know it is a lot of fun and um sometimes i'm tired but it's always a happy tired yeah and and that happens when you follow your purpose in life right. when you know what it is and you make choices around that so it's, it's been it's been quite the journey. I never thought that some of these things would happen, but it's fabulous because yeah. I was prepared and interested and available. So, yeah. right, keep that in mind too. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much again. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day there in California. Yeah, I will be getting ready for bed soon. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few. I've got a few more hours of daylight here at the yeah. beach, so. <laughs> Enjoy. Thank you very much, Jolie. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Take okay, care. Bye.